Hello and welcome back to another episode of Plug and Pay, a talk show where we bring you the latest and greatest of global payroll every week. I'm Angelique, Paysar's Head of Content, and today I'm here with Max, our Head of Service Delivery. Hi, Max. Hey. So, how are you doing this week? Great. I had a lot of great conversations with global payroll managers, both virtually in calls, but also on LinkedIn. And I just um, keep falling in love with payroll every day a little bit more. So I'm really happy to be back with a new episode together with you, Angelique. Me too. And we have something exciting to share today, actually, because we're going to talk about the poll that you did, Max, on your LinkedIn uh, last week. And we had some interesting results. Um, so the question, first of all, that we asked was, do you accommodate changes after payroll cutoff? So it was quite controversial. Um, do you want to share a little bit, Max, about what we what we found from these results? Yeah, sure. Happy to do so. And it's indeed a well, controversial topic. I don't know, but at least a topic that's very close to the heart of payroll professionals because our lives are driven by your payroll calendar. I once uh, shared on LinkedIn, a payroll professional can never look at a calendar without thinking about how it fits into their global payroll calendar. Um, and so is processing changes after cutoff, which is maybe the most important topic to discuss with your internal stakeholders. So um, to the question, it was, do, do you process any changes submitted after your cutoff? We got uh, a, a chunky 74 respondents uh, in three days, which is good. So thanks everyone for... Uh, for engaging and please continue to do so because we'll be issuing more polls. Um, and it was a three part answer. So you could say yes, which means I do process uh, changes after cutoff. No, as in you're very strict, I don't do it. The other one answer was only by strict exception. And the results were, were actually pretty surprising because if you would combine the results, it's 89% allow changes after cutoff and will process it. And out of that 89%, 31% just said yes, which basically means we'll process changes along the way after cutoff. Whereas 58%, which was also my own answer, which is only by strict exception. So that means there is a process in place where you, you know, assess the risk of processing a change after cutoff and don't just automatically uh, process a cutoff. But I think you know, the 89% the, the, the of yes, either yes in full or yes by exception, kind of speaks to the DNA of payroll professionals who are intrinsically motivated to just deliver pay and are always very accommodating um, at their own pain without any real gain, so to say, um, with any changes, because you still want that that, that employee to receive uh, the right pay. And I was actually speaking to someone about the results and we, we started the conversation um, by saying, yes, we need to be much stricter because of course, if you process changes after cutoff, it will make your process less efficient. It will, is very prone to error because most of the times in any business in life, if you process any rushy changes, right, there's no due diligence or you don't have real support to, to review, then it raises the risk. And also there's typically increased cost because if you're in an outsourced uh, arrangement and you've submitted your payroll uh, for processing, if you okay. then need to process those changes, typically there's an additional off-cycle cost. Uh, but of course, there's still the employee experience and employee value proposition that you're talking about because you want to make sure that you deliver on HR's promise. And that comes to the, to the fact that, yes, we want to deliver on HR's promise, but therefore we also need to play together to make sure the payroll calendar works for 
each actor in the process. And when I started uh, unraveling that with the, the person I spoke to, um, and then it came down to, well, yes, I want to I wanna restrict changes after cutoff. However, you know, in the end of the day, I'm just still going to accommodate it. So there's kind of this ambition to say, yes, this is my calendar. But then there is this, at the end of the day, when the situation is there, you're most likely still going to accommodate. And we'll likely speak on that as well. But I believe, uh, Angelique, you've also reviewed the comments uh, that we had on the post and wanted to share something around that too. Yeah, actually, we we had quite a lot of interaction going on. Um, as I said, maybe not a controversial topic, but definitely people had the strong opinions to share about mm. it. So some people were quite like firm and, uh, for example, saying our approach is to only allow changes by strict exception or there are times when you have to, but you should never make it common practice. It's all about education and communication. The many should never be uh, placed at risk of not getting paid because of the few. So that was quite a few comments along those lines. And then others were a little bit more flexible. So we had someone commenting. Deadlines are important in payroll, but you can't be too strict about those. Provide reasonable options for clients needing post-cutoff processing. And then on the other side of the spectrum, so some thought that it was actually um, needed to be based more on specific circumstances. So stating um, it's not as simple as a yes or no answer. We stick to our submission deadlines as much as possible. However, when something is received late, we evaluate the impact on the employee and assess and rework in the following payroll. Um, so quite a mixed mixed bag. So I know that you said you voted um, for for depending or by strict only by strict exception. So where where do you stand? Expand a little bit more on on your opinion on this. Yeah, thanks, Angelique. And thanks, everyone, for commenting on the post as well. I think it's good that these stories are out there for the broader community and for, for our stakeholders. Um, so my stance is I want to be strict, but I need to be accommodating if I must. And I'll probably um, give an example of my one of my prior jobs. So this was a, a Friday, and I was actually going to a family-in-law weekend. I shall not name the further details, but I wasn't overly excited about that weekend. Uh, more so because of, about the in-laws, right? <laughs> no, no, great people. I love them. If they're listening, I love them. Um, <laughs> but, but it was a Friday. It was the payroll cutoff. Now that's typically a day which is, you know, fully packed for the payroll professionals. You need to rush through get everything done because there is a payroll cutoff, and then there is a payroll submission in an outsourced arrangement. And you want to keep that window as short as possible, but still you would want the quality of the data and the reviews to be at 100%. So it's a stress period. Now, of course, I brought my um, uh, computer with me in that weekend, and then this fateful message comes in, yes, I know we have submitted all the commissions, but two of them are actually not validated yet. Right. Now, then you get into, I'm all strict about the cutoff, but now reality kicks in. And mm -hmm. there are two commissions that weren't approved yet. And it happened to be two commissions that supported one of the largest deals within that organization I worked for. So the stakes are high, basically. Yeah, so I think it were commissions that ranged between 250 and 500K 
gross euros. So this was a substantial amount. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there were processes in place where there were additional layers of review to get those type of conditions approved. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really uh, coincide with our payroll calendar and our cutoff. So mm -hmm. I was now posed the question, can we please wait with paying these for another five business days? with the comment, but we still need to pay it this month. Mm -hmm. And then the additional context was because we need to speak to the CEO to get this approved. Right. So it was already a little hint to say, well, you know, we're going to go to the CEO. We want this to be paid. Now, I could have just in this channel, chat channel, say, you know, sorry, you know, the cutoff window is gone. We won't be able to accommodate this. That would be very brave of me and it would probably also be the last thing I've said at that company because that's not the way you want to work. So I think um, imbalancing a cutoff, which I think is very important, and work with your stakeholders to see whatever is a feasible cutoff uh, to make sure the data that flows from their source systems, whether for, for instance, commissions, could be Salesforce, could be exactly, or with HR, Workday, SuccessFactors, Hibob, whatever you would need, make sure that it's seamless and that then the data transformation you need to do after cutoff uh, for submitting it is also seamless, which, by the way, our HR Connect module just brilliantly. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have uh, difficulties doing that, we can for sure uh, help out. And then that part is really strict. I then always set up a escalation process that if there were any changes after cutoff, either expected or unexpected, that there was a uh, approval process where we assess the risk and impact. Because sometimes there is, for instance, a negotiation about a termination that with lawyers, there might be uh, uh, court cases and after that you need to pay. So there are circumstances you really can't avoid. So and you would still need to process those either by legislation, for instance, California, right? It's same day severance pay. Uh, you can't just say, no, you know, the window is passed. We can't do that. Or if a court order says you need to pay within seven days, you need to do it. So therefore, I think there is a balance between ensuring you can accommodate those changes and then balancing that with, but it shouldn't be the rule. It should really be the exception. And the exception mm -hmm. should be that you also discuss that and then do a root cause analysis. Because although it's an exception, you could still think, okay, how can we avoid this? Now, yeah. Going back to the family-in-law weekend example. So uh, because I was working at the time with uh, a lot with the US, so after dinner, which was lovely, of course, it was a lovely dinner, lovely chat. I did, did open the, the laptop because in this particular case, it were two employees from our Germany entity. Um, and I had to, you know, to engage with my local partner in terms of being able to process. And this is where the relationship with your payroll providers in, this, in the different countries really come into play. Because they knew I always did everything to make the process as smooth as possible. I had a very friendly relationship with them. I spoke about my favorite band, Rammstein, of course, a German band. Uh, anything else German, I tried to speak in German with them. <laughs> Just all good, good relationship. So mm -hmm. I chatted him because I had him on WhatsApp as well. I said, hey, this is happening. You know, we can process payroll, but let's evaluate the options of what we could do. Five minutes later, he says, Max, it's also my Friday night. Right. But I, I understand. Let's connect on Monday and we'll make it happen. And it's it's kind of in these moments where you see that you need to build relationship with your payroll vendors, your payroll providers, 
And you need to be able to select the best payroll providers because although there might be a strict process, there might be all kinds of levels of automation, life still happens. There might yeah. still be circumstances that are out of, outside of your control. And that's the moment where you want to be, as a payroll professional, to say, yes, we have our payroll model. We have a structure in place that actually allows us to accommodate these unforeseen situations. So um, accommodating the exception and automating the rule. I like it. And as you say, it depends not just on the circumstances, but also the relationships you have with your with your partners or we prefer to say partners than vendors. So yes. mm, it's more complex than just than just a yes or no answer. Yeah, I think that relates to one of the comments, right? Uh, mm. that someone made. It's not a yes or no answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing your perspective and your your experience. Um, and I was curious as well, is there anything else this week? It could be about cutoffs, it could be about something else that has uh, sparked your interest in the global payroll world that you want to share with us before we end our episode? Yes, there's actually two things. So there is at this moment when we are recording this and most likely still when um, we're issuing it, uh, a conference in Australia happening from the uh, Australian Payroll Association. So TAPS, Jason Love. Uh, Jason Lowe. And it just shows that payroll people can actually party, Angelique. So they posted a few pictures around the closing party of the of the conference. And I just want to encourage everyone to, to, to go to any conference they can do because you speak with like-minded people, just like we did with our event in Amsterdam, Angelique, that we will soon be reaching out to as well. So anybody listening to the podcast and you are in the Netherlands will be reaching out to you to come to our event because it was a blast. People are still buzzing about it. And the other thing that happened to me this week, Angelique, when I was talking mm. to someone uh, to explain the PSR model because they had some challenges with an aggregator and we have a great case study around mercury engineering, which sparked their interest. And then you do you know, the intros. Hi, I'm XYZ. I do this. So I said, hi, I'm X. I do global payroll for 17 years and, and onwards and onwards. And then I got a question. So how old are you? And I'm not often lost, uh, have lost for words, Angelique, but this time I actually <laughs> stepped back a little bit and said, okay, why is this even a relevant question? Yeah, it's been but a while if, since someone's asked that uh, in an introductory. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they don't ask me anymore at the grocery store, right, to buy a, a beer. Uh, I'm old enough to, to do that. But I was caught by surprise, <laughs> which made me think around uh, the balance between, you know, your age and your experience. Because mm -hmm. I always found myself, especially earlier in the career, being perceived as, well, you say that you know this, but how can you know this because you're only 28 or 30 mm -hmm. or whatever your age is? And I always found myself explaining that your age doesn't match with your yes. experience. And also the length of your experience doesn't always correlate to what you've done within that experience, mm -hmm. right? You could work 10 years at this, in the same job, doing the same thing with little incremental changes, or you could work 10 years at, for instance, different companies, always say yes to a project or continue to uh, develop yourself. So I guess my plea to anyone who's listening is make sure that if you have a year of experience, you maximize, you really maximize your um, your experience in terms of new projects, in terms of engagement, you might go out of your comfort zone once in a while. And if someone asks you, hey, do you want to participate in this project? I would always say yes. I've never said no 
to any new project. It does mean that I need to skip a Netflix or Disney Plus evening from time to time and do some payroll-related stuff. But in the end of the day, you can maximize your experience by just doing a little bit more and going the extra mile, like you're doing with the podcast, don't you? But yes. let me return the favor. What have you experienced this week or you want to share with the listeners, Angelique? Ah, yes. Um, well, I actually went to a, um, wasn't a webinar, it was a LinkedIn audio event about equal pay for equal work. So that was really interesting. There were some speakers there like uh, Anita Letting, Oana, well, I'm not going to try and pronounce the name actually. Um, but, uh, and they were talking about, you know, whether companies have a DEI strategy, whether they have pay transparency policies. So that was interesting. Something I want to uh, discover a little bit more about. Maybe even we can talk at some point on an episode about. Great. Um, yeah, maybe let's invite Anita as well, because she has a great point of view on this. And it relates a little bit to the payroll data, but also the wider HR salary structures and all of that. So it's, it's really an interesting topic. And it's become much more driven by legislation as well. I think Brazil uh, last month already issued a gender pay cap uh, act as well, uh, following yeah. many other countries. So yeah, great topic. Yes. So well, we'll come back to that another week. But for today, I think that's a wrap of this episode. Um, so thank you for joining us on Plug and Pay. And we will be releasing a new episode every week on Fridays. So please do tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review so we know what you think. Um, and as well as that, we'll be running webinars every month. Uh, specifically, Max is going to be running some webinars. Um, so yes, anything else to share, Max? Oh, thanks, Angelique. It's been a, a great doing the podcast again. And any one of the listeners, if you want a specific topic discussed, let me know. Uh, and we'll be running a poll again uh, shortly. So we appreciate your engagement through the polls because it helps us drive the agenda for the podcast, but also you to share some best practices internally and have some data points. So I guess it's until next week. Until next week. Bye.